Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. Hello, welcome to our 10th podcast. So grab your cup, uh, come have a seat, and today you're getting... 30% more podcast. (laughs) So if you've been used to kind of listening to um, 20 minute segments and doing something, uh, you may want to find a pause place. We've got basically two 45 to 40 minute um, sections and, um, and then uh, implementation station at the end. So uh, you may want to listen for a pause place and and pause and pick it back up later. Um, But we're glad to have you here. We've got a lot of good stuff. We're talking about the drama triangle um, and Don Miguel Ruiz's um, Jr.'s Five Levels of Attachment and really weaving that into the American election fairy tale. Enjoy. Good morning. All right. So we're recording pretty early this morning. I might be a little rusty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it's early for me. And then I had new guests last night uh, that came in for Airbnb and we stayed up talking politics and stuff. It's like conversation is my cocaine. So I was like jacked up. But anyway, um, <laughs> couldn't go to sleep. Uh, seriously, it was yeah. like, ah, yeah, I've um, that so excited. <laughs> so I'm really excited to get on the mic this morning. Um, I posted a, um, an article in the Facebook group, uh, about the drama triangle. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we're going to start out talking about the drama triangle this morning. And, um, I think it fits in so well to this idea of, the American election fairy tale. Yes, definitely. Lots of drama there. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think like that for those of you that don't know the drama triangle, um, imagine a triangle pointed down and you've got the victim at the bottom, the persecutor on one corner at the top and the rescue on another corner at the top. And, um, I think that just fits in so nicely with what we talked about in the last episode on how whether you think someone is going to save you or whether you think they're going to destroy you in you know one candidate or the other, um, that we're giving our power away with both of those perceptions. Um, and so that fits so well, right? Like sort of uh, a lot of people are seeing Bernie as a rescuer and... Trump, very easy to see Trump as a persecu- persecutor. Right. <laughs> really easy to see. I think everybody's in agreement on that one. Um, but then that leaves us as the victim at the bottom of it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And just to give, uh, for again, for people who aren't familiar with the triangle already, sort of a fairy tale example of that is you, the victim is the damsel locked in the tower, and uh, the persecutor is whoever's, whatever evil bad guy has her locked up, and then the rescuer is the knight in shining armor who's going to come and rescue, rescue her. <laughs> yeah. And of course at the, at the, like, I, I love how in that article she lays it flat on a line, right. And really talks about how the victim that the persecutor and the rescuer are both extensions of the victim actually. Um, and the, the reason that it's called the drama triangle is because people, you, you, you ping around in that. Right. So you're not always necessarily in one place. Like, no, you're usually scooting around on the triangle. Yeah. Yeah. And she gave an example of how, you know, maybe if someone, uh, 
is someone who tends to rescue people and always be helping and and trying to you know help the wounded or the victims or the people who need their help and and um they're you know the intention is good right i want to help people um but what's happening is their identity is tied up in how helpful they are and they're so focused on helping other people that they're not taking care of their own needs and then what happens is because their needs aren't being taken care of eventually resentment builds Lots up resentment. right and if you're helping up. people who are weak or in victim type of positions a lot of times those people can't help you those people can't give the rescuer you know what they need and then they also resent the rescuer. <laughs> right. Well, so like the conscious, the conscious thing, maybe I'm just trying to help you. Um, and I know I was in that place for a long time. Like, I'm just trying to help you. I don't know why you're being such a jerk. Um, and that's the conscious thing. But um, the unconscious thing, the rescuer and the persecutor both see, like, don't want to be victims. Right. So yes. there is a looking down on victims. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so they have Whereas different... Whereas the, the persecutor overtly looks down on the victim and says, you're weak and I don't want to be like you. And the rescuer is saying, oh, you're weak. Let me help you. I'm stronger than you so I can help you. Totally. So, like, in my um, Vasilisa curriculum, right, like, we talk about the too good mother, who is really the rescuer, right? Mm, That's another way to look at that that archetype. And the stepmother, who is the persecutor, right? Mm. And both of them are saying... Um, you can't, you're not capable of doing this, right? right? But the two good mothers or rescuer says it in this like, oh, honey, that's so hard. Let me just take care of it for you. You just be still, you know. Right. But the underlying message is you're not capable of handling this. Right. Right. And whereas the stepmother is, who do you think you are that you can go do that? You can't go do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, you can see the persecutor there. So, um, so part of, coming into maturation, like in the story of Vasilisa, is navigating through this dark forest, completing some task, and coming back and being able to break out of both of those, right? right? Like, it's a big part of jumping out of the triangle. But you have rescuers also, I mean, uh, persecutors also see themselves as victims, which is how they justify the persecution. Mm. Right. So, um, they either see themselves as victims and are retaliating yeah. or they are trying not to be a victim. So they are attacking before someone attacks them. But basically still from a victim mentality. Cause if you have to attack someone before they attack you, you already see yourself. Uh, you're as assuming a- you're weak. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's still coming out. So that's why, like, I like that she flattened it because it makes it really clear that this is, these are different extensions of victim, right? Because right. the persecutor um, doesn't see their power. So, so if I'm a victim, right? If I'm powerless, if I'm weak, then how could I possibly hurt anybody else? And it doesn't matter how much I hit them or scratch them or bomb them or occupy them, right? Like, no, but I'm not I'm not evil. I'm just trying to protect myself because you could hurt me. Mm, Do you see what right. I'm saying? So that's yeah. where the And that's the, where you see that thing with, you know, the um you know, Muslim prejudice and things like that is, oh, well, they're all terrorists. You know, they could bomb us. We have to protect ourselves from them. And Right. And yeah. so meanwhile, we've been <laughs> occupying their countries for over a decade, right? Like, all in the name of victimhood, you know, and you see, like, pictures of these cities that have been, like, these, these amazing metropolises since 
um, since Europeans were dragging each other around by their hair, basically, do you know what I mean? And, and their rubble, hmm. right? Um, and then we're still convinced that, that we're weak and, and we're justified in attacking them, right? So, yeah. And at the heart of all of that, of this victim triangle, whichever level, uh, whichever corner one's on is really that fear. Yes. It's the fear that you're not strong enough. That someone can hurt you, that yeah. you know, and and I was thinking about the this morning, you know, is that we've got, you know, all these, you know, thousands of years of evolutionary history of, I mean, if you look at human history, it's just one tribe attacking another, right? One day it's this tribe persecuting this tribe, and then the, a few years later, then the other one's doing it to them, or they're doing it to this other one, and so we've been programmed to. Uh, to make this assumption unconsciously that people who are like us are safe and people who are different than us are dangerous. And it's just this sort of, uh, you know, crocodile brain, lizard brain, whatever you want to call it. It's that, you know, unconscious built-in programming that we were all born with. Right. And so a big part of making this shift to being more conscious is to recognize when that stuff is going on in yourself. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's not like some people are born more enlightened than other people. Right. We've all got that lizard brain. We've all got those innate instincts. And so it's really just a matter of become, becoming aware of when we're acting from those sort of primal fears and those primal instincts and and then saying, well, I'm going to choose something else. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's where the power of choice comes in. Right. right? And, um, and really what sets us apart from all the other animals on the planet. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Every time we say like, well, this is what sets us apart from animals. Then we find out that, that that's not what sets us apart from animals. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't Sometimes I wonder whether the thing that sets us apart from animals is that um, we get, we have, well, we have egos. So I don't know that there's, there's not a choice if you don't have an ego. Do you know what I'm saying? But um, I don't know. There's been so many. I was thinking more in terms of conscious thought. Although I guess if. Yeah, one could argue that animals have conscious thought and they, they can't appear communicate. To. <laughs> right, know. or they do communicate and we just <laughs> right. don't understand them. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, I guess that is kind of a muddy, muddy waters there. I know, but, right? Um, Gets us into that us versus them and then we can dominate them stuff. But, like, um, but yeah, I think the... Uh, oh, I so look... See, I'm rusty. I mean, I'm going to drink coffee now. So, um, (laughs) um, yeah, but like, I'm really, so again, like looking at this stuff that's happening within the political system and going back to our sort of main premise that whatever's happening on the outside is a reflection of what's happening to us inside. So we can empower ourselves in this process doing that. Like if we're like, it's real, I think it's for me, it's really easy to see how this drama triangle is happening in the political process and how, um, we as a society are stuck in this drama triangle. You know, we have ourselves in this this victim mentality because of we're we're taking on this victim mentality. We have been persecuting and occupying other countries um, because we're scared. You know, we're weak and you're going to hurt us, and um, or we want to rescue. Th- you know what I mean? And we're looking for someone to rescue yeah. us. 
um, and have had someone emerge to persecute us. So, um, so like kind of like really taking a look and seeing how we ping around. Right. So like you have being in that victim place, um, you see yourself as weak, so you retaliate to protect yourself. So that's how you pop into the rescuer, right? No, persecutor. Persecutor. Thank yeah. you. Um, and then, um, with the rescuer and the victim, uh, the rescuer also thinks that the vic- right sees the victim as powerless or whatever. So they're trying to rescue them to make themselves feel better. And there is a lot of that identity. So like, we, we're probably we're going to do a segment today on the five attachments from yeah. uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, um, the son of a uh, junior who is the son of Don Miguel Ruiz Senior, who did the four t- the four agreements. Um, agreements. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, so it's really easy to just keep like pinging around, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so the uh, the rescuer is trying to help the victim and builds up this resentment because the victim can't help them back. The victim builds up resentment against the persecutor because they can tell that they think that they're powerless and incapable, right. um, and against the rescuer. Right. That's what also. I, yeah, that's what I meant. Rescuer. Ah, okay. <laughs> you drew the triangle opposite of how I draw the triangle. So like my brain oh. keeps like doing strange things. Okay. So, um, uh, but yeah, so then the victim turns into the persecutor, right? Because they eventually pop out of this space of being held under in the name of rescuing. Right. Because that's essentially what you're doing, right? You, you need someone to drown to rescue them. So if right. they're not drowning anymore, you you're now useless. Them. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, so you keep holding them under, right? Um, in the, exactly, because because the the the, pers- the rescuer's identity is tied up in helping rescue. other people. Yeah, if yeah. they don't have anyone to rescue, then they have no purpose. Right, exactly. Yeah. So um, so then the victim gets sick of that, and then they become a persecutor. Yeah, right. Like, oh, you one think of, I'm so stupid and helpless? Then right, like one of the most powerful things that I heard a few years ago that really. Um, um, change things for me was I no longer look to find my sense of identity within my accomplishments. Mm. Wow. That's big. Yeah. So how do you, cause one of the things I have my clients do is, uh, write five, um, accomplishments, right. As part of like mm-hmm. a lot of people have a gratitude practice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. I do that too. I've cut, sort of modified. I do one gratitude statement and one acknowledgement mm. statement every day. Okay. Yeah. So how do you see the difference between acknowledging your accomplishments and identifying with your accomplishments? So I think acknowledging it is something just that just happens with yourself, right? Whereas once you put it out into the world, then it's something that other people can see, other people can judge, you know, they can form perceptions about you. So a lot of times my acknowledgments are things that other people didn't necessarily see. They would never know that I did that, but I know that I did that. Okay. And so, you know, so for me, that's a question that I often ask myself is if no one was watching, if no one knew what I was going to do here, you know, what would I do? If there was nothing at stake and I could do what I felt was right or the best course of action, you know, or more, most alignment with who I am, 
you know, what would that choice be? And I find that that's really helpful sometimes to separate yourself from identity and say, because then you can sometimes say, well, if people are watching, I'm going to do this. But if because no I one's want watching, them to see me right, I way. want to appear yeah. a certain way. And that, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about how um, there are Republicans who have come out against Trump and say, we think he's a demagogue. We, you know, this is not what we want for our party, for our future. And then people ask them, well, if he becomes the party's candidate, would you support him? And they're kind of like, and they're like, well, uh, yeah. And that's, and it's because, you know, they don't want to, they don't agree with Trump, but they, they are hesitant to break from the party, right? If he's the party representative, they don't want to be seen as, um, you know, not being part of the group anymore, right. right? Not being a team player. Or actively speaking out against the group. Yeah. Right. I think that, I think that also like talking about this idea of like moving forward evolutionarily, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously this is something we have to do ourselves, right? I can't, I can't evolve Rubio. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like Rubio, Rubio has, to, can do Rubio that. has right. to evolve Rubio. And, um, it's really interesting, right? Like the, the, actually the uh, neuroanatomy of that, right? We've got the reptilian brain is at the, at the, mm-hmm. the brain base. stem, the base. And then you have this kind of layer. The next layer the of evolution is the midbrain. And then the next layer, and it's interesting, right? Because they really are sort of laid on top of each other. Right. And the um, midbrain deals with social dynamics, right? And social situations. Right? And then the, the outer lane is the cortex, right? right? So that's the higher thinking and this kind of thing. And, um, it's really interesting because, um, that, uh, the teaching that Jesus had of turning the other cheek, right? I love how Gandhi interpreted that. And, um, it wasn't about being weak and letting people walk over you. Right. It's really a teaching about, uh, transcending the fight or flight mm. instinct. Right. Not, not of, like, just ben- reacting to it. Exactly. Like, oh, someone hit me and I'm going to hit them back. Right. Right. Um, and, um, what is it? Hamza Youssef, um, who is out of the Zaituna Institute in, um, in California, talks about how transcending these sort of automatic responses, if we're, if we're just staying in programming, right, if we're staying in that sort of like core brain and, and hitting out a fight or flight whenever stimuli comes at us, mm-hmm. we're not actually human beings. Right. And that's what I was referring to earlier when I said what differentiates us from animals. And I guess maybe I shouldn't assume that animals don't have don't those have higher that. level thinking, but that's not really what I meant. What I meant was that living I in the crop clearly, brain, right? We right. can choose to live, you know, we've got other place. levels we can call right. to. Yeah, exactly. totally. Yeah. So like, so, so Hamza Youssef talks about how, right. That's, you're not actually a human being when you're in that space, when you're just mm. re- reacting to right. stimuli, you're, it's, you're like a robot. Someone right. hits a button and this is what you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that teaching from, um, from Jesus about the, uh, uh, the turning, fi- the, turning the other cheek, like you, because the, oh, and it's hard to do this over the radio, but hopefully you can like see my hand gestures in your mind. <laughs> um, and so, so it's, you imagine that, that midbrain, right? It's kind of directly behind the nose and the eyes, mm-hmm. right? Deep in the, in the head. And so the shortest neural pathway 
is is into that midbrain for to your spinal cord, which is what sends out exactly. The so impulses, like right. So it you know the stimuli from from the eyes or the ears comes in and boom it goes the the shortest pathway is there um, to the uh, to the midbrain. I mean to the the Cock brain, the brain cell. Yeah, yeah. The, like reptile brain. Um, but if you if you do that, turn the other cheek, right? That's about not responding immediately. So you don't fight right. them, you don't hit them, and you don't run away. Right. Right. So you're stopping for a moment. And when you do that, you're actually literally taking the high road because you start taking right. the neural pathways. Which is in- the higher level, the exact- outer part exactly. of your brain. So they're going to travel up and over into the cortex instead of going sort of straight down, straight right. in and a little bit down. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're inside your mind. You are literally taking the high road when you do that. I know. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. But, um, and, 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 um, you know, and what we were saying earlier about, you know, the Republicans and, and do they want to break with their party? The reason that that's such a big deal, because to you and me, you know, we're kind of used to being, the Not people the who are on yeah. the fringes who are like, yeah, I'm taking my own path, you know, <laughs> yeah, screw totally. you guys. Like, me, Libra <laughs> like, that know? I am, balance, <laughs> counterbalance, balance, right. counterbalance. Yeah, but exactly. that, I mean, that, and that's for me, that's something that has evolved over time. But um, for me personally, but, you know, if you look back to, you know, throughout most of human history, to, you know, the tribe was safety. To be in the right. village, to be in the group, to be with other people was how you survived. Right. right, because there were safety in numbers. To not be in the group, to get kicked out of the group, to be out on your own was extremely dangerous. Yes. You know, not like today. I mean, today we're very fortunate to live in a time in a society where you can be very independent and, you, and you know, it's not going to mean you're deaf, you know. Right. Um, and But we still have those instincts you know, that are in that, you know, the lizard brain, they're saying, no, you have to stay with the group. You can't break from the group or, you know, it's death, right? So for your lizard brain, you know, breaking from the group is literally a life and death decision, right? you know, in that sort of black and white way of thinking that 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 part of the brain works. Well, and it even moves us into the midbrain at that point, right? Right. Because we are talking about the social stuff and like the mirror neurons and things. I mean, this is really, it's really powerful. And so it's not fair to be, um, it's not really fair to be judgmental because we all have it. We all have it wired in Mm -hmm. and we all have to work to override that. Right. Yeah. And, and move into another, you know, right to tap into those other things. So I used to think that, you know, people who are more enlightened or whatever, um, I'm like, Oh, they must've been blessed with like so much patience and they're just this better person, you know, like they were just sort of magically born with this ability. They probably, and like, there's a big joke about like, don't pray for patience. Right. Because (laughs) if you pray for patience, you will get lots of really irritating things happen to you where you have to be patient. So like I learned a long time ago not to pray for patience. Don't do that. That's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, it's not. I just want to make sure I'm on mute for whatever. Um, so it's not the, um, yeah, there nobody's, I don't think anybody's born that way. Right. Like it takes mm-hmm. a lot of work and, um, and it takes meeting challenges, going through really difficult things, mm-hmm. falling down and screwing up and falling down over and over and over again, right? Like, yeah. it's really, really hard work. So, Which um, is the thing that I think a lot of people are reluctant to do, you know, is, oh, yeah. is they're like, I want the easy way. Tell me the easy way. And it's like, well, 
It just doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. No, and like generally speaking, in American society, we just we do not have a culture that supports that doing that hard work. Yeah. Right. No, we right. wanted like instant gratification, and you know that's culturally that's what we have. Yeah. So and then, may, but then like, you have other you have this other side of our culture that is about hard work almost to the point of um, idolizing it and well, being like, hard, work hard, work hard, work. Physical work. Right, right. Physical work. And then I think also that sort of deal with it mentality, like this is real life, this is what you have to do, deal with it, you know, man up, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Of, but that's like mm-hmm. usually in the name of avoiding emotional work also, right? Like mm-hmm. that, I think that's part of the... The culture that shuts down. And if you think about, like, we do have this, we have a very working class culture. Right. Right. We really yeah, do. We have that. a working class culture, um, which has its benefits and its drawbacks. Right. Um, but part of that sort of working class and even agrarian is that there's too much work to do. So you, we, you know, we don't have time for to be just lazing about right. staring at the clouds, right? That's sort of this right. agrarian perception of thinkers, right? <laughs> get, yeah. you know, get off the, get off the fence, quit staring at the clouds and get to work, right? Yeah. So, um, so you have this dichotomy of some people are like, I don't want to have to work hard. I want to be fast and easy. And then you have other people saying, you know, it's all about hard work to, you know, to the point, to the exclusion of you know, working smarter, which is also, you know, yeah. So there's, there's a way to, no matter where you are, all of it wants to avoid emotional work. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So no matter where you are, all that is, and, and the more, this is one of the things that I see too, um, in, in what's happening at the Trump rallies and stuff like that is, uh, this complete, and Brene Brown talks about this, that we have a deficit of empathy in this country. Right. So, and again, if we're thinking about how, uh, the political things that are happening and, and the state of our nation is a reflection of the state of ourselves, mm-hmm. like we, we do, we have a deficit of empathy, right? So we have this multi, I don't even know what it's a bajillion now. Isn't it bajillion now? <laughs> a, a deficit, right? Like we've been talking about the deficit since I was in high school, but, um, oh, oh, okay. so isn't it a that bajillion kind of now? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> do we have words for what it is? Um, uh, but it, I, I do, I, like, I, I'm totally in agreement with Brene and like, no, this is, this is a reflection of the deficit of empathy that we have. And so much of what's happening with the, with what we're seeing at the Trump rallies, um, to me is reflecting this defi- deficit of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. There is this, um, you know, well, you know, and I almost think that it's, you know, how you treat others is a reflection of how you treat yourself. And so, you know, uh, I look at that and say, okay, if people are not having empathy towards others, it's probably because they're not allowing themselves to have empathy towards themselves. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and that's the place where we can take it out of judgment, right? Like there's this meme that's been kind of going around that uh, once you wake up, you won't judge people that are still sleeping. Um, so on a daily basis, I'm aware of that I'm not awake yet or that I keep falling asleep, right? Because I keep like, I'm judging these people. Um, hmm. But like, clearly these are people that are asleep, right? Like, I think um, it, it just, so I don't know. Have you seen, have you seen The Wall? Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh-uh. So I, uh, so I saw this um, mashup yesterday of um, 
in the flesh, which is the the song from the wall, and they had you know the scene from the wall where Pink is um, having, <laughs> and the song is like, "So ya thought ya might like to come to the show, right?" And so these people are all cheering or whatever, and then it turns into this fascist rally. Um, and people were doing this mashup. And so if you Google, like, in the flesh, Pink Floyd, Donald Trump rally or whatever, like, there's several different videos, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so it was this mashup. And it's still just like, oh, my gosh, my my scalp is crawling right now with this thing. It was so scary. Because by the end of the song, he's like, get him up against the wall, right? And then they've got Trump screaming, you know, um, get him out of here, get him out of here. So, uh, and I think... Um, that sort of idea of we're going to come here and just see the show and see the entertainment and see what's going on. And when you're in, like for me standing back and looking at it, it's really clear to me what's getting ready to happen. Do you see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, okay. Because first, you're looking at it from a distance. Right. Like yeah. first you're going to throw these guys out, but then the list of who is no longer acceptable keeps growing Right. And, and before you know it, you're the one being thrown up against the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Like this right. is how yeah. this works. So yeah, it's be careful what you allow to be done to others because that may because of, turn it, on what, you. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, that whole golden rule thing becomes very, very real <laughs> yeah. in those kinds of moments. Right. That, um, uh, that, um, if you if you wouldn't want to be treated like that yourself, if you wouldn't want your children treated like that, mm-hmm. then don't do it to someone else, right? So, um, but it's it's uh, when when we get trapped in this triangle, mm-hmm. this drama triangle, then it's really easy to to forget that, right? We're not able to kind of step out of ourselves in that, in that space. Right. Um, clearly because they, I mean, there's all these, you know, they're lining up outside the door, um, uh, to, to get in there and have that experience. But it, um, but if it turned on them, then I think that that's the thing that, that I think we all right. find scary. Right. Yeah. Is that for those of us that realize that, um, but and oftentimes people don't realize it until it's too late. No, I mean, well, and then they're like, uh, yeah, no, that's we, we kind of want to stop this before we get to that space. Right. Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly, but exactly. I, one of the things that um, that I've been seeing too, it's it's really clear to me that um, the people that are at the rallies don't feel heard. Right? There's all this anger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to be judgmental about what they don't feel heard about or whatever. But um, and there's been a lot of people, you know, outside of the Trump campaign. Um, that are like, oh, we have to shut it down. We have to shut it down. It's like, okay, so this... But that's just shoving them into that victim role or right. being the persecutor. And it's right. just moving people around on the triangle. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that... Um, so I first heard about the drama triangle um, in this book that a friend gave me called um, The Power of Ted. Yes. And um, and so in that book, uh, what the author does is he... he flips the triangle so so the drama triangle is sort of the shadow aspects of like the rescuer is sort of that you know the two good mother and the persecutor is right. the stepmother and the victim is you know the poor well i want to jump into this before we get into the light thing though because oh, okay. this is um 
So a lot of people are saying, shut it down, shut it down. But the thing that's so terrifying about what's happening in the Trump rallies is that they're shutting people down. And they don't even have to say anything, right? You can just Who's be shutting who down. The the Trump supporters uh-huh. and Trump are shutting down anybody that has any level of dissent, right? And you don't have to say anything. You just have to stand there with a different T-shirt on, or <laughs> not be white, or have a sign, right? Like mm-hmm. people are being thrown to the floor and sucker punched and all this kind of stuff for just standing there. They're not even disrupting right. the rallies, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's this shut it down. Sh- you know they're in the rallies, the Trump supporters are shutting down any dissent. And then outside the rallies, people are saying, shut down Trump, right? right. So what makes him so scary is that he's try- that he's shutting people down. And so I've really been, like, digging on this. And, and it's like, okay, these people clearly don't feel heard. And, and then kind of sat back and listened to how many times I hear um, people that consider themselves progressive talk about interactions that they've had with people that do have a lot of racist, uh, sexist, Islamophobic ideas about things, right? Um, And people will say, I just shut that stuff down. I kicked them off my wall. I unfriended them, Mm -hmm. right? So so it made me start realizing, like, okay, we got it. We have to take responsibility. Like, all of us are in this, and we will right. all pay the consequences yeah. if we don't learn our lessons here, right? Because right? so, if you just turn your back and walk away, you're removing yourself from the drama of the situation, but you're not really helping to make it any better. Right. Yeah. So, um, so now they're reflecting back to us. Yeah. Right, so and we all have to live here together. So, so whether we you figure want stuff to hang out. out with them or not, to a certain degree, you have no choice because right. we're all here on the planet yes. together. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, it, so it's really um, because I've been amazed that there are so many people that have gone so long with so many misperceptions that have been able to fester into this hate. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, but. But if the progressive, if the progressives have been unwilling to engage with people, right, um, and gone into judgment, and, and I don't know if I'm more, like, I wasn't raised in a liberal family, mm-hmm. right? So I had to crawl out of this. I've got fam- people in my family that still use the N-word, like, you mm-hmm. know, so so my my first election, I voted for the Republicans. I had my, like, conservative big church big hair days, you know, like, so, so I, like, I had to, like, so I, and I, I don't know if it's because I know because of my own story that yes, people can change their minds. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And I am so grateful for the people that engaged with me. Right. Because if nobody had ever engaged with me, right. if, if no they one, just sort of written you off and, oh, look at that prejudiced white girl, whatever, I'm not going to deal with her. Right. Then, then you wouldn't have had that opportunity. Uh, right. To grow. I wouldn't have had. And, and, and my responses were often, you know, F you. No, I don't. Whatever. You're just making that up. Shut up. You know, like yeah. that would be my immediate response. But then their confrontation or their question or whatever would start like bouncing around inside of me. Yeah. And, and it would really bother me. And I would keep thinking about it and I would be arguing with myself. And then eventually I'd be like, you know what? I think they're right. Hmm. You know, and maybe I only gave them like, well, you're kind of right, you know, mm-hmm. but at least it got me like the next little baby step forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's actually a huge breakthrough is being able to admit that you did something wrong and 
being able to accept that and be okay with it and not judge yourself or at least not judge yourself too harshly right. in the beginning. Um, because I think that's why a lot of people shut down any kind of criticism or a suggestion that, you know, maybe their way isn't the right way is that they just don't want to be wrong. They don't want to admit that, you know, a way that they've been thinking or doing something is not correct. And if you're stuck in that shame blame cycle, right, right, then it is really difficult to admit that you're wrong. Right. I think that that's part of it too, of being, being stuck in this, um, this shadow part of the triangle with the victim, Mm -hmm. persecutor and rescuer, that is all shame based. Mm -hmm. All of it is shame based. Right. And that's, what's really powerful about spirituality, like true spirituality is that at the central core of that is this idea that, you are perfect as you are, even with all your imperfections. Right. Or you're worthy of love and belonging, even though you are imperfect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that gets us to the space of the light triangle. Right. right? So so then the triangle like flips upward. Right. right? So the top, so the pointy part is at the top. And instead of being victim, it's, it's now creator. creator. Which is so empowering, yeah. right? Someone who creates something. Yeah. 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 So then you go from like being sloshed around by your circumstances, right? Because this is one of the things too, um, within the drama triangle, uh, you can, your, your circumstances can be the persecutor. Right. It doesn't have doesn't to be, have to a, be person. a person. Yeah. Um, but it is having that victim mentality that you're powerless and there's nothing that you can do about it. So now you need a rescuer to pull you out of your circumstances. But if you see yourself as a creator, if you're the creator of your life, um, and and from what I've seen in my own walk, that pathway from victim into creator um, comes from taking responsibility and being accountable, right? Mm-hmm. So looking for, okay, how, how have I contributed to this instead of always seeking to blame someone else right. or shame yourself? You're taking your power back. Absolutely. All That's that power you take that you gave back. away saying it's this person's fault. It's these circumstances. I can't do it because blah, 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 someone else. Now you're taking your power back and saying, I am the author of my own destiny. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Which doesn't mean that the outside influences go away or that we're pretending they don't exist. It's taking responsibility for what you have control over, which is yourself. Right. And that's, and I think that's an important distinction with the whole control thing, because what a lot of times people try to do is they try to control other people or they, you know, they feel victimized by their circumstances or others. So they try to control others. Right. But that's actually backwards. You can't control others. You can only influence others. The only thing you truly have control over is yourself. Right. And so when you realize that and take responsibility for it, for what you do and what you say and what you believe, you're taking your power back over the one thing that you truly have control right. over. And I think when we start talking about the influencing too, like we touched on last episode and which we'll get into deeply in the next segment, um, that influencing st- we're attached at that point, right? There's, that's a level of attachment. I'm perhaps no longer respecting someone else's mm-hmm. right to yes right. and no. Um, when I, when I seek to influence, but, but if, um, but yeah, like I'm only in charge of me. So so if I recognize judgment is an indicator that I'm in a shame and blame cycle, right? right? Then if I see myself judging other people, that is a cue for me to like, okay, where can I take responsibility in this? 
so mm-hmm. that I move out of judgment into accountability right. and do what I can to make the situation better. Right. And then instead when, of focusing on what they're doing, focus right. on what you can do. Right. And if you yeah. think about like, so if I'm focusing on judging them, then now I'm helpless because I can't change them. Right. I can't change Donald Trump. I can't right. change Ruby. But yet you feel like you should be able to. And because, that's the really like mind twisting thing about it is that you feel like you should be able to, right? Because there's that part of us that that feels powerful and has this sense of I should be in control, but well, that's how we move into the persecutor, the right? Yeah. Well, then we moved in persecutor, right? I mean, like that desire to control is also part of the victim cycle. Mm-hmm. We want to feel powerful by getting control over something, as opposed to being powerful, right? And really, when you're and being able yourself. to release control. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Um, so, so when we're grasping for that control, that's also you you don't grasp for control if you feel in control, right? right. If you are in control, yes. do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Then you're not grasping for it. So, yeah. um, and if I so if I am powerful and I'm in touch with that, then I don't need to feel powerful, right? Right? Because I am. Right. <laughs> Right. You're sort of like, you're there already. Right. Exactly. Right. So why do I need to control you? Because it's going to be fine. You right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, And that's so powerful. Oh. Like having experienced it. Oh, wow. It makes me think of, there's this really beautiful interview clip with Nina Simone where they ask her about freedom. And, uh, and she's talking that, you know, like, what is freedom for you? And, and you can, she's having a really hard time articulating it and says that there's times on stage when she feels free. Right. But, but that it's the same kind of thing, right? Like being in our power is freedom. Right. Now I have full choice. Now I have options, mm. right? Now I'm Safety not because if you th- and, like think yeah. about like God, it's like just the space in the room has relaxed, right? When we think of yeah. like stepping in our power, when we when we when we want to feel in control and we're grasping for control, like think about what those situations feel like. Like I can feel my collarbone constricting. I can feel mm-hmm. my ribs kind of pulling in. You know, it, all, the, it, it's very constrictive. Yeah. In the name of power, that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. right? Like power is actually expansive. So, um, but when I want to, when I'm trying to control or dominate or whatever, like that's an actually a really constrictive feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. And once I once I step into that power, <sighs> okay. Now I have a completely different thing, yeah. and then I'm able and then to move able into be more creative too, exactly. right? Because once you stop grasping and coming from that place of neediness and I need to try and control. Once you feel that sense of stability that comes from taking responsibility, then, then you can take the high road, right? Like mentally and, and go into, okay, you know, what do I really want to create here? And that gives you into seeing new possibilities, seeing a situation from a new point of view and realizing that you have more options than you think you did. Absolutely. And so there's all this wonderful, it's like a chain reaction that comes from just switching your mindset. And when you like, cause anxiety, what anxiety does is limit options. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Fight, flight. Yeah, totally. Like, so anxiety really, really limits the options and makes us feel really closed in. And, um, so a lot of times too, like, 
working with clients, you know, like, okay. So if you're feeling like, like, well, the only thing I can do is right. Uh It's like, okay, well let's, let's pop. That's one of the lies that anxiety tells us. Right. So pop that open. And I know for, for myself, for you, for, you know, I think it was probably a good solid two years. My mantra was, I am a grown up. I can take care of myself. I have lots of options. (laughs) I am a grown up. I have options. I can figure it out. Like that was like my mantra whenever I would start feeling that anxiety Mm. closing in and that grasping for power. Um, I'm a grown up. That means I have power. I have options that gives, you know, and that's really helpful, you know, and, and I know there are a lot of, um, uh, things out there on affirmations. And when I first started doing them, they felt kind of false. But I think that's because I was trying to adopt other people's affirmations. Mm, and and yeah. sometimes there was a part of me that would go, that's not really true. Right. You know? And so... Yeah. so you are I, so blowing right. air up but yourself. But I found yeah. that if you just create your own statement that... Like, like I love the one that you just gave. It wasn't highfalutin like, oh, the universal is dropping abundance in my lap every day. And, you know, it was just, I'm a grown-up. I, I have options. I, have I can options, figure it out. Right? Yeah. And it's true. It's yeah. true. So it's really, it's not, you know, I'm trying to create something through the power of thought necessarily. It's I'm yeah. acknowledging what's already true that I need to remember because sometimes I need to yeah. be reminded of it. Absolutely. You know, sometimes in those moments of anxiety, we forget. <laughs> Yes, and we, we need do. to be reminded of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hey there. Well, we had some technical difficulties this week where uh, the beginning portion of our next segment, uh, the recording, uh, got cut off and the first part got deleted. So uh, where we're at is um, we're discussing uh The Five Levels of Attachment, and this is from the book by Don Miguel Ruiz, Jr., and basically what got missed, that got cut off, is I am describing the, we're going through the five levels of attachment, and the author uses a soccer analogy as a way to illustrate the uh, five different levels. And the part that got cut off was level one, the authentic self. So I'm just going to read you really quick what that is. Imagine that you like soccer, and you can go to a game at any stadium in the world. It could be a magnificent stadium or a dirt-filled field. The players could be great or mediocre. You are not rooting for or against a side. It doesn't matter who is playing. As soon as you see a game, you sit, watch, and enjoy it for those 90 minutes. You simply enjoy watching the game for what it is. The players could even be kicking around a tin can and you still enjoy the ups and downs of the sport. The moment the referee blows the whistle, that ends the game. Win or lose, you leave the game behind. You walk out of the stadium and continue on with your life. At this level, you can enjoy a moment in time without any real attachment. You invested just enough of yourself to choose to attend or watch the game this isn't you in total control of knowledge. You experience the purest form of joy stemming from your pure desire to experience life without conditions. All right, so that's level one, and now we will jump into the discussion with level two. And then level two, preference, is where you develop a preference for which team you'd like to see win. 
And so, but then at the end, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's how it's like for out. those guys to right, win. Like but, to, oh, well, good yeah. game, guys. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so there's no problem with the other side of the team. You can easily congratulate them on a good game. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, and then level three, identification, is where you start to identify yourself with a certain team. And you right. say, this is my team. And right. this is the team that I want to win. And, and if they don't win... You feel sad or depressed or angry or, you know. Yeah, so it's going to go outside. You're past gonna, the game, right? You care about beyond the just the... And have a bad day. Probably get in an argument with somebody if your team lost, right? right. Like, yeah. it starts impacting your relationships at this point. Right, right. Yeah. And then internal internalization, the fourth level, is where now you're, you're, you're not just a fan of the team. Like, your identity is tied up with that team. Right. So now suddenly um, anything that happens to the team happens to you. Mm -hmm. And anyone who... So at this point, also, you're unable to be friends with... With people from the opposite team. From other teams. Whereas in identity, you could probably still be friends with someone, but you probably rib them a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. um, But at internalization, you're no longer able to really be friends with someone from another team. And um, any any person being with another team is somehow a a statement against you. (laughs) Right? Like, you didn't choose my team, so... Clearly there's something wrong with you. And you're rejecting me. Right. right? Like, so there's... It's kind of got that stuff wrapped up in it. Um, Probably would get in fights after a game. um, Things like this. And then the next level... Yeah. The final level is fanaticism. And this is where you worship your team. Your blood bleeds their colors. If you see an opposing team's fan, they are automatically your enemy. And you feel that you need to convert other people to your team because, of course, your team is the one and only good team. The one and only real team. Right. Everyone else are... They're all losers and posers. The rest of them. Losers, frauds, liars... You know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and and he gives an example of um, where you know after one loss, there was a fan who was so upset he hung himself. Right, and another case where uh, a bus driver drove his bus into a group of people that were wearing the jerseys of the opposing teams. Right, so like people died for wearing the wrong colors. Right, yeah. um, There was a really good. I don't even know if you can find it here, but there was a really good BBC um, documentary that was done in the late 90s, I believe, that was called Five Steps to Fascism. Um, and the first step they used, um, they used teams as an analogy, right? Like the sort of dividing into mm. us versus them. Um, and and then it just kind of, you know, that, that, that us versus them. And then the next step was introducing authority, right? So they did these experiments where... Um, somebody would go onto a crowded train and ask people to move, give up their seat, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it was someone by themselves, then, you know, less than half the time people would move just because they didn't want the confrontation, I guess. But if they had someone in uniform standing behind them when they asked someone to move their seat, they got up every single time, mm. right? So that introduction of authority was the next one. So, um, and we see that with the like, yeah, hit whoever you want to, I'll pay their legal fees. Right. right? From Trump. Uh, so we've got, yeah. you know, um, and then the, the one after that was, um, they used the example of the Stanford prison experiment, 
right? So I'm not familiar with that. Oh, um, so the Stanford Prison Experiment, they they took you know undergrads and um, it was in the experiment with the psychology department, and they were going to do this mock prison, right? So sort of like random lot drawing who was an inmate and who was a prison guard and the experiment had to be aborted within like seven days or something because it got so out of control. Wow. That even the, the, the even when these people knew they were just pretending it wasn't yes. even real. Yes. Wow. And it got so out of control and the, the supervising faculty got wrapped up in it that it took someone else coming Outside. in and going, this is unacceptable. You have to stop right now. Wow. Right. Like that reminds so, me of what, um, wasn't there a teacher? This was back in the sixties. I think who, yes. who the bl- brown eyes, blue eyes experiment. Right. Same yes, thing. yes. Yes. And, really, and really kids good. really got like really mean totally. to each other. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, there was a film made about the Stanford Prison Experiment. They had it at Film Bar um, several months ago. I, we didn't get a chance to go see it, but it, it is out there. So, um, And then there was another experiment that was done. Oh, this is where authority takes responsibility. So that would be the I'll pay your legal fees thing. Um, so the, that last level authority uh, taking responsibility where there's an experiment that people were told that so they're asking someone behind um, a wall, right? Questions, and if the person got the question wrong, they were supposed to give them a little electric shock, uh-huh. um, and they were supposed to increase the shock every time they got a right. Every time they got a question wrong, um, and they're not actually shocking the people, but they don't know that, right? So the people on the other side are actors, oh. and so they're like, oh, you know, so um, and. Uh, it'd get to the point where, you know, the, the shock is having to be turned up and up and up. And the actors are like really screaming at this point. Right. Um, and people were obviously very uncomfortable with that. Um, but the, like the, the people running the experiment, so they'd Mm -hmm. put on their, you know, their white lab coat. So now they've got authority. Um, (laughs) so they would say, we'll take any responsibility for this. Wow. And there were only a couple of people that were like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Right. So once the, once the authority takes responsibility and people are now acting against themselves, right. So I think a lot of those other steps, it was this thing that sort of took over, right. The sort of like lower part of ourself that, that took over. Um, but in that last step to fascism, it was really about people acting against themselves, Hmm. Right. Um, they knew it was wrong. They weren't comfortable doing it. They didn't want to do it. They protested doing it, right, or resisted doing it. Um, and then when the authority figure said, we'll take responsibility, they did it anyway. Hmm. Right. The authority figure said, no, you go ahead and do it. We'll take responsibility. Right. Hmm. Then wow. um, that was kind of the last step. So. Um, and it's, so, so that's sort of like beyond the five attachments at that point, right? Yeah. Like you can kind of see these levels of attachment as you're looking at these different yeah. experiments. Yeah. Um, and then that last one is really moving against yourself, um, to go in that. But it's been one of the things that I've found really interesting. What I wanted us to kind of like pull apart. We're doing a lot of politics today, but anyway, <laughs> um, that really pull apart, with this level of attachments is not talking about the Trumpeters anymore, right? Um, but really looking within the progressive camp itself. Um, I've been seeing a lot of people really identifying and even internalizing and becoming fanatic about their particular candidate for the primary. 
So right? in other words, this kind of fanatic behavior is not just for those crazy not people. Not right. copyrighted by the GOP. Right. No. Surprisingly <laughs> enough, it's something all humans do. Isn't that yeah. funny? Yeah. And so <laughs> and that was something that was a point that that he made in the book was that um, this can these levels of attachment can happen with anything. Absolutely. I mean, take someone who's a vegan. And it's like, everyone in my family is going to be vegan. I don't care if you like it. And, you know, I'm not going to talk to you anymore if you're not. Right, exactly. Like, I mean, anything can have these different levels of attachment. And so it's no longer about what is your position on an issue and is it right or wrong. Right. It's about how How attached attached are you you and have you gotten your stance on this issue, whatever it is, wrapped up with your identity. Yeah, absolutely. And what we talked about in the last podcast with that yes and no, and like really central to this idea of moving up and down attachment or one of the places where we can see um, where, how attached we are is our ability to respect other people's yes and no. Right. So, so as we're sort of like descending into deeper levels of attachment, Mm. our own personal sense of yes and no is gone. Right. Because now I have to do what the party does, or now I have to do what the team does, or now I have to, right. Um, but, and I can't question, anything that the, that the group is doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my own yes and no, no longer exists anymore. I have to, someone else has to tell me what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and, 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 and we saw proxy, that with, we saw that with, um, you know, after nine 11, how there was this resurgence of American pride and patriotism. And if you weren't in favor of going over to the Middle East and kicking those terrorists' butt and getting those weapons mass destruction, like you were not American. You were, right. uh, yeah. It's they, like bomb them back into the Stone Age. It's like, have you seen Afghanistan? They're already there, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think there's any bombing them back. Like, they're already there, you know. But um, and still, but just this idea that if you weren't, if you didn't agree with the decisions right. that the government was making, that meant that you had no pride as an American, that you were anti-American, which is total crap. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I can have pride for my country and proud to be an American without supporting... And still try to understand what just happened Right, without supporting a particular policy or or action. And and, and that goes to what you were saying about, you know, when someone um, says something that is counter to what you believe or what you think should be done... Can you accept that as, oh, okay, well, that's their opinion, or or right. is it like, no, how can you be against this? You're wrong. Right. Yeah, that's when you can't even question anymore. Right. right? So you yeah. get like, that, how you dare you even... Even question yeah. this. Yeah. No, it's really true. And um, so it's one of the things that's really interesting watching in um, the sort of, like, Bernie versus Hillary uh, fans in, in the progressive slash left camp. Um, I've been seeing... And I said this on somebody's feed yesterday. I was like, okay, you can totally feel the burn without bashing the hill. Like it is, it is, it is possible. It really, really is. And, um, uh, and it's really interesting to see these things going on where, okay, so I saw at the, at the Netroots Nation conference last summer here in Phoenix, um, this is where Black Lives Matter really stepped into the forefront, right? Oh, okay. Um, they had a protest and shut down the rally, basically. Like, they started chanting in the crowd so that you couldn't hear anybody on stage and got on stage and got the microphone away. 
right? So they totally totally took the microphone out of O'Malley's hand, right? Um, So they totally shut the thing down. O'Malley handed it quite well, actually. I mean, he did the whole, like, all lives matter thing as he's going out. Um, But he spent the rest of the day in meetings with the protesters to find out what was really going on. Um, And then Bernie totally dropped a ball on that. I mean, he did a terrible job and he was like making these hand gestures to be like, shut up, sit down, do what I mean. And Uh, threatened to walk off stage. It was a, it was a disaster. It really was. And he has since then turned it around. He did eventually actually apologize, right? He, he, he shut, he actually canceled all of his meetings the rest of the day that day. Um, cause he had meetings with those, with mm-hmm. the protesters, but he canceled everything. Um, kind of threw a hissy fit really. Um, but he came around, right? Like he learned mm-hmm. from it. He came around, he put, he, he brought black lives matter people into his campaign. He eventually apologized for how he handled that. Right. And I was really angry until he, I was like, I don't want to, I just, yeah. So, um, so, uh, crap, where was I going? About, just about the prejudice and Yeah, so right after that, I was really shocked at the level of racism that I saw within the Bernie camp, um, because there were a whole lot of white people telling black people they needed to just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, this isn't the appropriate place for this. And, and you know, to be totally fair, I had a similar reaction because we, we were watching it okay. streaming. We weren't the tickets by the time we found out about it were like, I don't know, almost five hundred dollars. So I was like, ah, OK, not going to go. Um, so we did. But we found out it was going to be streaming. So we mm-hmm. um, so we watched it and I had a similar reaction. I was like, hey, shut up. I want to hear this guy talk. Right. Right. And um, and because I have enough people around me that challenge me on a regular basis, there was a part of me that went, is that white supremacist that you want people to shut down? And it needs mm. the meeting needs to be run the way that you think the meeting needs to be run. Right. And I was like, oh, OK. So so I so I said out loud to Jason, like, is this my white supremacy taking over that I think we need to run meetings the way Europeans run meetings? And these people <laughs> just need to be quiet and wait and get on the agenda. And and maybe they tried to get on the agenda and nobody would listen to them. Right. I mean, this is the reason that protest movements emerge. Right, people, people try, aren't listening. They try the normal avenues and mm-hmm. nothing happens. And so they take other measures to be right. to be heard, right? So so I did question my sort of white supremacy going into this, right? And was able to kind of pull back and listen and watch to what was going on. And, um, and that helped me see a lot of, like, especially if you kind of just muted and just watched, like, the body language, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and my experience in the Netherlands showed me a lot of that too. I spent a long time where I didn't understand what was going on. I was only watching body language and it told me a lot, right? So, cause I clearly love words. <laughs> so it's really easy for me to get caught up in what people say. Right. right. And I, and I did that in relationships all the time. Like if, if somebody said the right things to me, I would ignore everything all they did. Signs, you know what right? I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> nobody said, you know, so, so I have since yeah. learned to pay attention to what people do as mm-hmm. much or even more than what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really, I was really upset by that. And it, it was interesting to have some conversations with some friends that were at the Netroots the nation that were floored at the animosity being directed at the Black Lives Matter people. Wow. So it's one of those things that I saw, like, oh my, man, the call is coming from inside the house, right? And if yeah. we can't get people that identify as progressive 
to put aside, like, to question their own privilege, to question their own, like, swimming in this white supremacy that is such a part of our culture. Like, it really, really is. That they may not even realize. No, we don't. I mean, you know, right. That's the thing, is it's invisible to white people. And the thing is, denying it makes it worse. I mean, that's how how it works, right? So, denying that it's there actually strengthens it. Um, So, um, so, Which is probably why we've gotten to where we are now, um, yes. you know, because I know when I was um, growing up that, uh, you know, like you did not mention race. Like if you mentioned right. race, then people might think you were a racist. And right. so, you know, and and I was always told, you know, we're all equal. And so I was brought up in an environment that was very um, overtly um, non-discriminatory and, you know, we're all here together and, and isn't this wonderful, this melting pot of cultures that we have and all this kind of thing. And so, so I believe that because that's what people said, right? Yeah, was racism right. is over. Right. It's over. It doesn't right. happen. And now anymore. we have a black president. Right. So clearly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that was the thing that really drove it home for me was just watching the way, um, people, people have treated, have treated Obama. And, and I just, I mean, I look at that and go, no one would treat a white president that way. No, no way. way. No way. The level of obstruction yeah. has been really incredible. Yeah. So, but it, but again, like looking from within the house, right? I really want to stay. Like, it's really easy. It's to easy go, to think, oh, oh you it's guys, those, but those no, it's coming from within the side yeah. of the house, and and part of this, like. Oh, I don't see color. Well, then I refuse to see someone else's existence mm. and experience, mm, right? right. Um, and so I'm not going to listen to that. And if they want to try to tell me about it, then yeah, then they're pulling race cards, right? Or- well, that and that's how I felt too <coughs> when I was younger. Was when when someone would speak up about race, and I'm like, oh, they're just playing the race card, you know? They're right. trying to, you know, because their ancestors were wrong. They want to take it out on me, and that's not fair, you know? And <laughs> and so it's just like. And, and, and so, ironically, you know, I'm like, well, they're discriminating against me because I'm white, <laughs> you know. And 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 looking back on it now, I think the irony is that there was discrimination going on both places, right? There's me going, no, there's no such thing as racism, and and we're all equal. And then there's, you know, but then there's people, you know. I, I think the important thing is that prejudice does not discriminate. Anyone can do. It. If you're right. a human being. You probably have them. Right, you have. Mirror neurons and all that. Yeah. And so, like, but it's one of these things, too, to make this distinction that, like, uh, though someone of color can be bigoted, prejudiced, and discriminate against me, um, I am the only one that can be a racist because I'm in the I'm the one in a position of power in this society, right? Because I'm a white person. Oh, right. So these the system is set up to support white people, right? Right, um, and we're seeing that break down right now, and mm-hmm. we're seeing like what if you have any doubts about whether that's true. Look at a Trump rally, right? Like this is the end. This is the end of the line for this. Do you know what I'm saying? So the system is really set up for that. And when we close out other, like we don't want to talk about race. And for me, race is invisible, right? Or has been, had been in the past. Like as a white person, it's easy for race to be invisible because mm-hmm. everything's geared towards my race. Right. But when I it's when like I talk about you don't notice colorblind, that you're right-handed because everything's made for right-handed people. Right. So when yeah. I tell people like, oh, let's not talk about race or let's not acknowledge race or we don't need to acknowledge race, well, then I'm just telling them they need to just be white. Hmm. And yeah. they can't be white. Right. Right. So um, so so that color blindness actually ends up 
deepening that, right? And um, and so, like, so I, I refuse I, to acknowledge that there's a problem here, right? And so you're basically ignoring them, which is, you know, it's a it's another type of keeping someone down. Absolutely, and so that's what they call polite white supremacy. Mm, right. <laughs> right. You're not so, calling them the N word. You're just telling right. them there's no problem here. Stop complaining. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Can't we all just get along? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so, and you see it, you see it, um, uh, PWS, right? So if you're reading articles and see PWS, that's what it is, is polite white supremacy. And okay. so there was a lot, there's a lot of PWS going on in the Bernie <laughs> camp. And, um, and I saw that after the net roots nation thing. And now what I'm seeing, and I don't, like Bernie has taken care of it. I don't know that his supporters have. Right. Um, Cause and it's I, something that everyone has to do on an individual level. Absolutely. And, um, so if we looked closely enough, I'm pretty sure we'd see the little rescuer thing going on. Um, and so, uh, and persecutor of those that would say, Hey, maybe you need to check that. Right. Um, and then now what I'm seeing is the sexism raise itself. Right. So there's this, um, so our Airbnb guest that checked in, that checked in yesterday is a sports writer. So, um, like Don Miguel Ruiz and five attachments, he's uses sports analogies for everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was saying last night that, so this whole, I don't, I don't know how many emails I've seen about like all the things Hillary's ever done wrong. <laughs> um, you know, she's a liar. She's a this, she's a that. And, and the thing is, so I have my problems with Hillary. I do. Um, I think she's far too attached to Monsanto and the oil companies. Um, but I do not think she is any worse than any other politician. Right. Yeah. Right. Like she's, she's good at the game. Like it's no, there's no doubt. And when we say she's the most experienced, she is the best at the game. She's really good at it. Um, is the game disgusting? Yes. But to like, but to condemn her her and her alone, playing that game and being good at it. When we've been okay with men being right, that or we like all these rumbled years. about it, but then we do this like, well, boys will be boys, you yeah. know. And so, like this, uh, the sports writer Airbnb guy, like he says, um, the analogy he used was steroids and baseball, right? And it's kind of like if everybody in baseball has been using steroids, it's definitely a problem. You know, they're having to like try to monitor it a little bit. They catch people every now and then, but everybody's using steroids and they've been using steroids. And then you have this one guy come along that doesn't use steroids, mm-hmm. right? Bernie. And then like, so now suddenly we're going to catch Hillary using steroids and act like she's the only person that's right. ever used steroids. And so that my friends is where you see your sexism. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Just like when you grab a person of color and hold them uber accountable for things that white folks do all the time, right? Right, without having issue, um, it's the same kind of thing. If you're going to grab a woman up and be all upset about her doing what what the guys have been doing forever, right? Yeah. Like you either have a problem with that behavior or you don't, right? And so right. we've seen this. Within like, and do you think that's is it is it because she's a woman or is it because she's Bernie's opponent? And I think anyone it's because she's a woman, I really do. I mean, I I haven't seen people go after O'Malley this way. I haven't seen anybody go after the other Democratic candidates this way. And O'Malley's got he's got some stuff on his record. Like, dude's done some stuff, right? And some really nasty crap went down in Baltimore while he was mayor. Mm. You know, so but I haven't seen lists of everything O'Malley's doing wrong. 
Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I really think it is a place to start questioning. And, and the, the thing that's really interesting is that, um, it's not just, it's not just guys doing this. So when I'm talking about the sexism, it's not just men participating in this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I commented on somebody's wall yesterday. He was a woman and she's like a huge Obama fan, which again, I'm not right. Like I did vote yeah. for him the first time. Um, but uh, when he put Monsanto people in yeah. his cabinet, I was like, first I was like hoping it was a Jedi move. Yeah. And then it became clear that it was not a Jedi move. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's just another politician. Yeah. Sad, you know, because yeah. um, I, I, know I, I did feeling. think he was going to be our rescuer. But um, so uh, but she's like a diehard uh, Obama fan and um, has put a lot of posts up about, about how obstructionist this Congress has been and how mm-hmm. critical they've been. And um, it was amazing because even Rubio was trying to blame Obama for what's happening at the Trump campaigns, which just kind of blew my mind. But whatever. So um, I know, right? Like El Nino is also Obama's fault, apparently. So, um, so, so, uh, but like even right, she's seen all this stuff, and then I was, and then she posted this like super anti-Hillary um, article that was like. Uh, Hillary's emails shows ties to corrupt for-profit schools or whatever. And supposedly the Hillary email was her saying that the president of some for-profit university needed to be at an event for education at the State Department. Well, duh. Obviously, if you're the president of a really large university, for profit or not, you should be included in the guest list at this education event for the State Department, right? right? Like, I don't see anything scandalous there. I don't see any, like, and then the rest of the articles, like, talking about how bad for profits are and how much money Bill gets for speaking at them. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with any, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just looking for things. Right. To, and so I, underneath yeah. it, I was like, look, she's got enough stuff to talk about without making crap up. Yeah. And like, you can feel the burn without smashing the hill and, and like, don't do to her what Congress has been doing to Obama. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, right. don't hold her to, don't be just obstructionist just cause. Right. You know, and, whether it's just cause she's a woman or just cause she's Bernie's opponent or. Right. Just because. Yeah. Like, so again, like moving through these levels of attachment of, okay, so if somebody's a Bernie fan, that means they have to hate Hillary and hate Hillary supporters. Everything she does, everything she says is wrong and bad and and evil. Right. She's just as bad as Trump. Somebody said, I was like, Uh, really? Really? Not even close. Really? (laughs) And, um, so, you know, like, oh my, and this sort of like, if, if my particular, primary candidate, mind you. We're not even in the election yet. Um, my particular primary candidate does not win. I'm moving to... Canada. Wherever, yeah. right? Canada, <laughs> Belize, Costa Rica. Like, um, like there's so many people like that are... Apparently, we're going to have a mass exodus. No matter who <laughs> wins, we're going to lose like a third of the population. But... Um, <laughs> and the judgmental part of me says, good riddance. <laughs> but, you know, like at the same... But we're, we're still on the planet together. Anyway, right. do you yes, know what I mean? Exactly. But um, well, and that's the thing is it's, that's not going to solve anything mm-mm. either them leaving or us leaving or you know you're. And then just, you'll just have to learn another language to get pissed about the politics. I mean, you know, I've done that before. <laughs> tell me, it's not. It's, it's probably easier to just deal with what's happening here than learn another language to get pissed about politics elsewhere, and then not be able to vote because you're not a citizen. You know what I mean? Right. Like whatever. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, like these these different levels of attachment where. 
um, there's this unquestioning, my guy is the only true guy, the only real guy, mm-hmm. or or candidate, let me say candidate, sorry, that's sexist exclusionary language, um, that my my candidate's the only real candidate, the only true candidate, the only candidate that can that's going to do anything good ever, and all other candidates are just different shades of evil. Right. <laughs> right. And so if you are not in my, so I can't have a conversation with you, I can't be friends with you if you're not and you know and then what happens like um after the primaries are over and your candidate didn't make it like so now right like then what happens (laughs) like now you gotta start all over right but well and the thing too about this especially in politics is that it it, everybody divides up into these camps that they identify with and say this is my group this is my party my candidate and you know, but it's like you said, you know, it eventually, you know, some of those candidates make it to the next step and some of them don't. And so if you can, you know, move to, you know, like level two where I have a preference, you know, I'd like this right. person to win, but, you know, I'll, you know, however it goes, it's not the end of the world and I'm going to vote for who I think is going to do right. a good job. You know, right. that's the beauty of being on the, you know, those uh, earlier levels of attachment is that. You don't, you can, you can choose what you want to choose instead of feeling like you have to be part of whatever this group is doing. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, I mean, I, I've lost track of the number of times ever since I was a kid that I've heard people say, well, you have to vote either Republican or Democrat because anything else doesn't count. Right. And it's like, and then people complain about how the Republicans and the Democrats are all corrupt and this party is corrupt and this party is corrupt. And and I'm like, so then why don't you vote for someone else? Well, we can't because they can't win. Why? Because no one will vote (laughs) for anyone besides a Republican or a Democrat. (laughs) No, it's really true. And I think what we see happening right now is, first of all, two-party systems means that our public forums are set up basically in a logical fallacy. Right. It, either it, or. Either or. Yeah. You're with me or you're against me. Right. Those yeah. are logical fallacies. And so yeah. all of our public discourse is essentially fallacious. Yeah. Well, right? and even, even the dividing up of positions, like their platform and where they stand on this issue or that issue, like take abortion. Are you telling me you can't be pro-life and pro-choice? Right. Can't you totally. be for life and for people having being, choices? People being able to choose their own thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. No, it, it does, like, it sets that fallacious. And the thing is, is that the actual solutions are in the middle, right? right. Like it, it promotes extremism. Yeah. Because once you divide up, then you have to like be with your team or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the teams get further and further and further apart from each other, which is what we see happening right, right. now. And, and I think we also see this fracturing of both the Democrats and the Republicans. And it needs two parties is just not adequate, right? right? So, and, um, and I really think. That and there's a lot of people that don't vote because they mm-hmm. feel like they have to do one of the two parties right. and they don't and they find don't and they don't see yeah. themselves there. But I really see our vote as um, a manifest. My vote is a manifestation of my intention for mm. the next four years or two years, depending on who I'm voting. You know right. what the race is, and um, so sitting down and really thinking about. What and I also made a decision uh, many election cycles ago that I would no longer vote against things, right? Because I I'm going to vote for this person, so the other person will lose. Right? Kind of because thing. I've seen yeah. energetically playing the, playing the numbers game totally. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And energetically, it doesn't vo- feel right. Well, energetically, you're actually putting the energy towards the thing you don't want. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Like, so this is one of the things that like in our own lives, if we're focused on, I don't want this, I don't want that. I don't want, you know, riding a motorcycle, what you look at is what you're going to hit. Right. So if you're focused (laughs) on the thing you're trying to avoid, you're going to hit it. Like where you're looking at is where you go. Right. Right. So you have to look at where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Yeah. And, um, and so, so I made a decision a long time ago that I would no longer vote against because I'm sending my energy towards the thing that I actually oh, right. don't want and right. that I will only vote for and that my vote is my manifestation of my intention for the country. And so it doesn't, so then I'm releasing outcome, right? right. It's not about whether or not my candidate wins. It's me grounding my intention for the country, right? Mm. So, so I vote for independent candidates a lot, Right. right. Um, I vote for green party candidates. I vote. For, right. So, so that, that happens a lot and I don't expect them to win. Yeah. Um, but that's my manifestation. And that's like, a my, great way of looking so, at and one of the examples when I started thinking about it this way was watching Bill Clinton's first election when Ross Perot was in the mix. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people are like, well, see Ross Perot split the Republican and that's mm-hmm. why right. Clinton got in office. Well, let me tell you what Clinton was a Republican. Right. And, um, he, like the whole where fell. Oh, absolutely. Like he, his policies are conservative policies and the assault on people on welfare really began in the Clinton administration policy assault on poor people began in the Clinton, right? So the Reagan administration heralded the rich and Clinton actually persecuted the poor. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I was a single mother recently divorced, um, on food stamps, trying to finish my, my bachelor's degree while this is all going on. Right. So, so I was experiencing the brunt of these policies aimed at hating women with, with children. Right. So, um, and and when when I went to Holland, like when I went to Holland, it was when the Monica Lewinsky stuff was still going crazy, and so all these people are like, "Why are Americans so upset about this? Like, this is a reason men get men get power so they could have twenty year olds do this to them." And and I was like, "I don't know why everyone's upset. I know I'm upset because like you know we I voted for a Democrat, but there's a Republican in office. That's why I'm upset. But I don't know what everyone else is upset about. And at that time." Um, the neo-fascist parties were rising to power in Austria, right? And I sat down with some friends of mine in Vienna, and we looked at Bill Clinton's policies and realized that there was not a, a party in Vienna when neo, neo-fascism is rising. There was not a party in Vienna conservative enough to hold Bill Clinton. Wow. <laughs> right? So, so, um, so it really, uh, where was I going with that? I don't know. I know, right? Cause it kind of blows <laughs> well, my mind. Well, I think just, think uh, we were it, talking but. about, you know, the, um, uh, you know, does your vote count and, yes. and how should you vote? And so, so I saw I, in that thing, right? Like all these people, there were more people that voted in that election because, because Ross Perot was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, there were more people that voted in that election, more conservatives that voted in that election and they got what they wanted. 
they had a vision for the country and they got what they wanted. They got it in Bill Clinton. Do you mm. see what I'm saying? Wow, interesting. So he got into place and put all these really conservative policies into place. They got what they wanted. It just didn't come out in the candidate that they wanted, right? right. So, yeah. so I started, so I recognized that. And then watching different political systems in Europe was also very enlightening, right? Then I realized, like, oh, you can't actually vote for other parties and there are other ways to do this. And yeah. um, so, so now I don't vote against. I vote for, and Whatever I don't play numbers games. It's not about games. your guy or gal winning. It's not it's about me about trying to control an outcome. Right. It's the intention that right. you're setting. It's me getting real about my vision for the country yeah, and then I grounding that. that intention in my vote. Yeah. And, you know, I uh, I recently was looking up, I was, t- I was wondering, like, what percentage of the country is Republican versus Democrat? So mm. I came across this um, research by the Pew Research Center um, in 2014. They surve- f- surveyed 25,000 voters, and uh, 23% were Republican, 32% were Democrat, 39%. Were independent, yeah, which I thought was really interesting, and that's of the people who said what they are. I don't even know where all the people who aren't voting at all fit into those numbers, right? Totally, right? And so, uh, you know, it made me think, wow, there are more, according to that, assuming that that's representative of the country, there are more independent voters than they are. than there are in either of the two parties. Absolutely. Which says something really powerful. It's like you think, oh, well, I'm not one of the two parties. My vote doesn't have that much. Well, actually, yeah, there are a lot of people. Well, and this is the thing, too. Like, so, uh, like, the Dutch... and, and the way that we have a sort of winner-takes-all system, right, I think also fosters mm-hmm. that. I think not right. only is it time for more political parties. Like, Holland has 13 political parties. Oh, wow. This teeny, tiny little postage stamp of a country, <laughs> and they have 13 political parties. Now, if a country that small needs 13 parties to represent itself, do you see yeah. what I'm saying? And, you know, yeah. there's like four or five that are the top ones. Right. Um, but it's also really interesting how it shifts pu- pu- public discourse mm. because even it's with It's not only- either or. It's a talk right. about the different shades. There's four. The different and options. even with four or five that get the most airtime, do you know what I'm saying? You have five perspectives on any particular issue. Right. And the way that they have it is that the percentage of the vote that you get is the percentage of the house seats that you get. So if you get 1% of the vote, right, if you're like the naked tomato throwing party, (laughs) right, then you get one seat in the house, right? And maybe you don't have a lot of voting power, but you can get up to that microphone and speak your piece, right? right? You submit a proposal on every issue. So this is one of the things they do too. When there's an issue that needs to be addressed, every party submits a proposal about that. And it's the cabinet's job to sort of make a quilt out of these proposals to put something together. And then that goes to vote, right? Oh, interesting. So it's really interesting because it not only does it really shift the political debate to become yeah. much more nuanced, yeah. Um, but every party feels heard. Yes, right? which is really what it comes down which to. Which is really what it comes down yeah. to. And people say, you know, we weren't able to get this thing and this thing that we wanted, but we understand. But we were able to get this and this and this in the bill, right? Right. So it ends up being there's much more collaboration, Right. There's much more conversation. And it's looking There's much for, more nuance. I love how you say they're they're taking all these different proposals and then creating the best, 
you know, package that addresses some of all of that, you know, creating something new from all these different pieces, as opposed to it has to be your plan or their plan, you know, our plan or theirs. And, and of course everyone's automatically against the other side's plan because it's the other side's plan, not because of the merits of the plan. Right. No, exactly. And that only drives me nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. More than anything else in politics is when they're so focused on their team winning right. that the actual issue is totally lost. Right. right. And yeah. this is, and the country that and we're like, living in now. But that's what you're here to do. That's right. your job is yeah. to create something that is about the issue that is for the people and for the country. Yeah. You know, and we, I didn't elect you to go you know, have a football Grand, rivalry. Right. Go grandstand you know? and have someone else <laughs> vote for you because, you know, um, because you couldn't, you had to go play golf or whatever, but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, um, uh, and, and, and the, 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 the like the, the culture that we find ourselves in right now is the result of that win or lose mentality. Right. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of cultures around the world that, that, that decide by, um, consensus as opposed to winner takes all right? right um and uh and they're sort of amazed and and a lot of you know westerners would call them primitive societies or whatever air quotes <laughs> um but they're amazed like well what if you do it that if you explain our system to them right like yeah. well why would you do it that way then you know you have like half of your people mad all the time yeah <laughs> Exactly. That is the problem yeah, right. right there. Like, yeah, you're right. We do. Yeah. <laughs> and then throwing their heels in the sand and refusing to move forward as opposed to, okay, let's find a way where everyone gets to speak their piece and then we'll, we'll find, you know, this, uh, this, this way to put it all together and then, you know, move forward from there. So, um, yeah. And that, and that everyone feeling heard in the process, I think is, is a huge part of it. Hey there. So the beginning of this next segment got cut off as well. And this is the integration station segment where we talk about how we can practically apply the things that we just talked about in everyday life. And so basically the part that got cut off was simply talking about, um, being observant in your own life when you find yourself in the drama triangle, when you find yourself heavily attached to certain outcomes. And um, that's basically where we pick up next. Levels of attachment interacting with that drama triangle mm-hmm. and disabling us from being able to hear what other people have to right. say. Do we try to shut and somebody have a converse- down? Right. Have a conversation with them. Are, are we shutting people down that don't agree with us? Or are we trying to like sit back and listen mm-hmm. and, and see what happens after that? And what happens inside of us when we try to sit back and listen? Do we start pinging around in that drama triangle inside of us? in the process of trying to listen to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's because that's where the alchemy is going right. to happen. That's a good point that, you know, the drama triangle isn't just something that happens between people. It can happen in your own head where totally. one part of you is saying, you shouldn't think that. And, uh, you know, another part is you going, but I want this. And, right. You know, so they, yeah. they say something that upsets you or feels threatening to you. And so, so yeah, so now you feel powerless and so now you're going to persecute them and call them names and, you right. know, even if it's only in your head, 
they're calling right. them names, right? Because sometimes we don't speak out. Right. You know, someone says something we don't like, and we just, you know, we're like, well, I'm not going to say anything, but I think they're, you know, whatever. I gave them a look. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think really, really paying attention to that. And I think, too, I really challenge people that that consider themselves progressive to look and see where white supremacy, racism, and sexism are showing up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> right? Where are we shutting oh, yeah. down other people's experiences? Um, where are we not able to listen to that? How much are our are, are attachments and, and persecutions of other viewpoints mm-hmm. actually got... I mean, it's real easy for us to see when we're In looking over people. on the other camp, yeah. right? Um, we don't want to see it when it's ourselves. Yeah. So, so I, I remember us- the first time that happened to me that I became aware of, oh my gosh, that I just made an assumption about that person because of their color and how they looked. And I was like... How could I do that? I'm not a racist person, you know. I, you know, I Mirror believe neurons. in equality. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and that's I think that's one of the tricky things about being human, is that you can be in a way more than one person. You know, there's a part of you that's that that's not racist that believes that truly believes in equality and treating everyone with fairness and respect. And then there's that lizard brain that sees everyone who's not like you. As a potential threat. Right. And and so if we can acknowledge that that is just the nature of being human, right. then we can start to reconcile And it doesn't have that. to be the level of crossing the street to get away from someone, right? It can be shutting someone's perspective down yeah. because their perspective of living in America is different from yours, Mm-hmm. because of their background, right? So yeah. so we see that threatening and we shut it down. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it's as simple as just hearing someone that expresses a viewpoint that's different than yours that you don't agree with and going, well, that's their opinion. Right. You know, but and really not judging it, it. But, Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, like, well, no, seeing it, not their, that's their opinion dismissively, but like, oh, I see that that's the way they see the world. That is their experience. It's not my experience, but it doesn't make but it's it their any experience. less real. Right, it's real for true. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I also loved what you said too about voting and how uh, you know voting as a way of setting your intention for what you want to see in the future in the of our world. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that it isn't just about your candidate winning. That if, because really the only way to get out of the system that we're in is when people start voting in alignment with what it is they really want. Right. And because eventually that, that's how you make it happen. And, and maybe it's not going to show up the way you, the way you wanted it to with your candidate winning. But I, I mean, that was a great example that you gave with Bill Clinton. You know, the conservatives got what they they're conservative. They just got it in a different form yeah. than what they had expected. Right. So we, we've got to like recognize where we are on that scale of attachment, yeah. right? Like really ground our intention and then trust that that works. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and be willing to let go of outcomes and see beyond facades and masks mm. and, and be able to be objective about whether or not we got what we wanted. Yeah. Right. And not be like, oh, well, I didn't get the candidate I wanted. So I'm going to like be antagonistic yeah. or apathetic to everything they do regardless and not even investigate to see whether it's alignment or making progress. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so it, it does 
it does require some work on, you know, work on that attachment scale and I to love be moved forward said, that way anyway. I love what you said about trusting that it's going to work. Because I know in the past I've been like, well, I'm going to vote for this person because I think they're the best candidate. I, I know they're not going to win, but, you know, whatever. This is like my protest vote. Right. But... That's not, now I look back on that and go, well, it's not really the energy that I want to put out there either, you know? Yeah, exactly. So really making sure that, that when, when we're considering our vote and going to the ballot box, that we are standing for something and, and voting for something and manifesting for something. And that may mean that we have to get out of this false dichotomy of either or, yeah. Right. And look to see where there are more choices. And um, if we feel like we have to hold our nose to do things because mm-hmm. this person's as close as anyone else is, whether or not anyone else has ever heard of them, right. um, then we need to work harder to make sure that there's more candidates on the ballots that do. 